You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash thisnazlife. They've got over 180,000 titles to choose from for all your devices. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Andy Bullerjack, Executive Director at the Nazarene Student Center in Norman, Oklahoma. Thanks for all you do for young pastors, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Brick Bowler-Jack, and I'm here with my guest, Andy Bowler-Jack. He's the executive director at the Nazarene Student Center on the campus of the University of Oklahoma. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Uh, Well, I'm adopted, and so um, the fun story is my dad got to tell my mom that we were having another baby. And so uh, they were called in December and said, you want a baby? And my mom and dad were, yeah, but I didn't realize until this week or this month that it was actually, they had two weeks notice before wow. they were going to adopt me. So I was supposed to be due Christmas, um, but they didn't tell the church. No one knew um, except family and, and one nursing friend. And so I was born January 6th on Epiphany, Tuesday, came home Thursday. And on Sunday morning, my mom walked into church with me and Aaron. And everyone was very, very confused. So uh, <laughs> her favorite compliment is she had a lady come up to her and said, you look fantastic with such a young child. And my mom just glowed. So uh, I was adopted. Uh, and my parents, grandparents, I believe my great grandpa was at Pilot Point. So mm. we've been Nazarene before Nazarenes were Nazarenes. So. Yeah, wow. That's awesome. So tell me about your call to ministry. How did you end up wanting to be a pastor? Uh, I think like most pastor's kids, it was the last option. Mm. Um, I had uh, not had a great couple of years. Uh, We moved to Baltimore, Maryland, and that was fine, but um, just knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. And went on a mission trip with our youth group to the Bahamas. Um, which was mostly to go to the Bahamas and hang out. <laughs> right. The mission trip was just a way to get mom and dad to help pay for it. Mm. And so, uh, but I remember we were on the beach at night at a worship service, and it was a, a huge worship service. Uh, and they were singing, I can't remember the name, but it was one of the God of All Creation songs. Mm. And it was just this moment where uh, I, I genuinely felt God's call on my life um, into ministry, and like any good 14 or 15 year old, that's youth ministry. Mm. Um, you know, so that's obviously what God wants you to do. Right. And, and so I, but yeah. I, I remember, uh, to this day and I, this deep sense that I was supposed to be in ministry mm-hmm. and, uh, it was not the answer I wanted. Um, but I came home and I think about 16, I started working with a local license. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I began pursuing that and I was lucky that my dad was willing to let me see behind the curtain. Um, you know, so I didn't have false pretenses of what church is, what youth ministry is, those kind of things. And so mm-hmm. he began to help shape that call, but he's always made it a point to say, if you can do anything else, do it. But when you are called, you go full head. So mm-hmm. that moment has been uh, an anchor to to help remind me that the calling and what we're doing is not mine. Mm-hmm. And that, that oftentimes will help. 
So you get your local license. Yeah. Kind of continue the story from there. What, what happened um, next? I worked in my local license uh, and began to really consider um, universities uh, when I graduated. And mm-hmm. so our family has a rule that you have to go to Nazarene schools, um, which was fine. We were always raised with that. Um, and everyone in my family, I mean, everyone in my family went to SNU. Um, and so uh, I that's kind of what I thought I was going to do. But my father began to... Um, opened my eyes to other schools. And so I actually applied to Olivet and Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon was late late minute. We had a friend of mine who decided to go and then another friend decided to go. So I threw in an application just because I was going to go to Olivet and uh, wound up getting my financial aid agreement from Mount Vernon first, which if you've gone to Mount Vernon, that was a miracle um, (laughs) that I got that one first. And uh, honestly, the main two reasons I went, one of them is, is incredibly silly to make a life decision that big but my grandparents live in mount vernon and mm. they promised me sunday afternoon lunch every week Ooh. and uh as a rather large gentleman free food is <laughs> rather enticing so <laughs> i apologize to mount vernon's admission staff it had very little to do with them Mm-mm. and much more to do with grandma and grandpa's food but the other reason was i had a couple friends going and yeah. um, mount vernon had just got a validated course of study so I knew that going through the religion department, school of theology and philosophy, that I would be ready for ordination mm-hmm. uh, from the beginning. And mm-hmm. so I began uh, in 2005. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor. Um, and, and by the grace of God, in 2006, I was rescued from that call. And, <laughs> and God removed the burden of youth ministry from me. But mm-hmm. I was working in uh, New Life Church of the Nazarene's uh, children's group. Mm. I was in the Nazarene Ministerial Scholarship Program. And so um, part of what we get to do is we get to help local churches. And yeah. the local church I could work with needed children's volunteers. Uh, and luckily I've been called, you know, rescued from that call as well. <laughs> uh, but it taught me quite a bit. It taught me how important those things are. Yeah. That you don't just shove a retired school teacher down there because it's babysitting. It's, right. it's truly when you meet men and women who are good at their jobs for children's ministry, you realize that they have a huge task in front of them. Um, and one that I'm not prepared to do. Um, yes, yes. So, so I began to try and wrestle with what a call looked like when it's not to youth and not to children's. Uh, I enjoyed preaching. I was uh, privileged to speak uh, at our spring revival. Um, and that was a, an awesome honor. But I never felt like the local church worked for mm. me. Uh, I never hated the local church. It it just was never one of those things that you hear people who that's their call, and I never had that. Mm. The other issue I ran into was I couldn't get districtly licensed. Um, being on the Mid-Atlantic District in Baltimore, Maryland, and going to school in Mount Vernon, Ohio, their assessment for ministry was in our January term, where you can't miss class, period. Oh. So uh, if I didn't go to the assessment, I couldn't get district license. I couldn't do Skype. I couldn't do anything. So I, I kept postponing it. Um, and so I think I held a local license for, I mean, it had to have been at least six or seven years. Oh, I mean, wow. it, was, it was too long. Yeah. Um, and uh, I wound up graduating. Met my wife in college. We got married uh, before our senior year started. And we thought the plan was to go to seminary. Mm. Um, and it, it just didn't work out that way. So it's been a... College was a truly eye-opening experience showing me what not to do. Mm. Um, and I think that's sometimes a better blessing than pigeonholing you mm-hmm. and thinking that's the only thing you can do. 
So kind of tell me about how you how you got from Mount Vernon to where you are now. Yeah, uh, so we got married. Um, and like every newlywed couple, when you're 21 years old, you don't have any money. Right. And um, it became very clear um, towards spring that my new wife and I were not going to move to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, she did not feel that that was a good move. I had not had a sense that we had even the money to put money into a U-Haul. And, mm. and I've talked to some pastors and they've talked about how God provided to get them to, to Kansas City and the money that they spent and the risks they took. And I, and I don't discount that at all, but I had $7 in my, my pocket. And we were living in central Ohio where when the economy collapsed, it, it destroyed towns. Yeah. And so I graduated with honors and I got turned down from a laundromat. I got turned down from Walmart. I got uh, there. I literally painted propane tanks in people's backyards for $8 a tank because there were no jobs. And so um, we began to have a conversation with God and that calling in the Bahamas became very important um, because I'm pretty sure he went for a long walk for a while. Mm. Uh, But I knew I had to keep going to school. Um, I've always been raised, my dad used to say, you, you're, you need to dig your well deep enough so that when there's a, a, a dry spell, you have water. And Mount Vernon had just started, uh, kind of relaunched a master ministry in practical theology. Mm-hmm. And uh, a man who later became my mentor, Bruce Peterson, um, pulled me inside and said, hey, you should really look at this. It's, it's 10 months long. You can get a master's and transfer it into your MDiv. And I know SNU has one an MA that you can transfer into the MDiv. And, and so I went, okay, it's one year. We'll wind up going to Kansas City after that year. Yeah. Um, but uh, towards the, I don't really remember, towards the end of my master's, uh, we began looking at seminary again. Mm. Um, and it just wasn't working. And oddly enough, my brother-in-law was on campus at Mount Vernon and found a uh, Help Wanted ad for a live-in nanny. And... Um, he was like, hey, do you care if I apply for this? You want to apply for it too? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, Again, I was painting propane tanks, so that was better than anything else. <laughs> right. So I wound up sent, you know, calling in, and uh, I talked to Clyde, and he's like, hey, we're not hiring. My wife and I decided to go a different way, but let me take your number anyways. And I went, okay, whatever, no big deal. Um, and come March of that year, uh, we were living at 104% of our income. We we were at the point where God had to make bills last, yeah. and and so we didn't have the heater on in the winter. We didn't have any, any of those kind of things. And mm-hmm. so, about six weeks before our lease had to be renewed for a full year, uh, I can remember where we were on 13 North, heading to Mansfield. Uh, Clyde called, and out of nowhere, he says, "Hey, do you want that job?" And I literally didn't know what he was talking about, but I remember right where I was. If you're from Mount Vernon, it's just past the DMV. Um, and he's like, yeah, a part of the compensation isn't, isn't financial. You get to live in an apartment for free. Mm-hmm. And so where God opened doors for people to get a place in Kansas City and God provided a place for us in Mount Vernon. Yeah. And so I looked at my wife and went, hey, it looks like you're going to be a nanny. Or as Clyde called me a manny, which was awesome. I loved being called a manny. There's nothing... <laughs> more encouraging so you know I worked for three years with children's ministry and I was rescued from that and then I got to be a nanny Um, (laughs) but what that place allowed us to do was it allowed us to catch our breath yeah and you know I still worked at the cafeteria and looking back 
when you work at the cafeteria, you can eat at the cafeteria. And God provided food. When I was a nanny, God provided a, a place to live. And when it would get down to negative 28 degrees, we could have the heater at 70. And it's a 98 degree difference, but that was included in the pay. Mm. And it's those moments where you understand that the calling makes sense. Yeah. You know, it, it's not the fact that you find $10,000 in your bank account. Right. But it's when you don't have to pay for things. It's when the money doesn't make sense in your bank account. Mm. Um, and so I hit seminary hard. I, I went year round um, while working. Um, my wife decided that because the economy had gotten so bad in Ohio, the only thing she could do is go back to school. Mm. She was stuck working at an athletic store. And so she decided to go back to nursing school. So she went back to nursing school. I went into seminary. Mm. And um, one day, Bruce Peterson pulled me out of the dishroom. And I was head to toe covered in whatever was being served that day. And he said, hey, I, need, I have six hours for recruiting for my master's program, the one that you just finished. Would you come work for me for six hours? And I said, if you will get me out of this dishroom, I will do almost anything. Yeah. So again in a way that doesn't make sense, God opened the door. And so Monday through Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I would be in the dishroom for eight hours a day. And then Saturday, I'd go in and recruit. Hmm. And a year later, Dr. Sorrell opened the door and said, hey, I'm sure you've heard, but your predecessor, your boss, just quit. Do you want her job? If you want it, it's yours. We'll interview you tomorrow. Wow. And I, I immediately put in my two weeks notice at the dishroom and... I began working in the School of Theology and Philosophy. And mm. I honestly can't tell you what my title was because it, it changed eight or nine times. <laughs> but it wasn't dishroom manager. Right, yes. Uh, and so I began doing seminary at the uh, amount of hours I could go and not pay my school loans back is, mm. is what I kind of did. But I didn't take time off. And so from September of 2010 to May of thirteen. I think I had nine weeks off of school. Wow. And that began to wear, but it was, it was being surrounded by faculty and staff who had shared stories and who helped really change the direction of my life mm. by mentoring me in those hallways yeah. and trusting me with things. And so I worked at Mount Vernon um, for four and a half years and it was it was tremendous it was an incredibly hard time the university almost shut down um, mm -hmm. i took two pay cuts other people took bigger pay cuts we lost benefits but god never stopped providing for us and so as we were struggling as a university as uh, a young married couple as someone who felt called into ministry and their friends were in churches how is that my alma mater just recruiting kids and one day, Dr. Sarah walked in again and said, hey, so-and-so is retiring. We need someone to run the Nazarene Ministerial Scholarship Program, the one you were in. Mm. And, hey, this is happening. Can you come teach for us for an adjunct position? Or, hey, this is happening. And, and I remember sitting, I, I took over Bruce's office when he moved out. Wow. And I remember sitting there and I, 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 I cried. I don't cry very often unless Oklahoma loses football, but <laughs> I cried because the man who had, mentored me in my undergrad who had pulled me out of a dish room and offered me six hours I now had his office mm. and I'm forever indebted to him yeah. that he would bring me into his office and close the door and say hey you're going to be offered this church uh, 
you need to be careful with it. Or, hey, why haven't you gotten your district license? He really forced me to get my district license. Mm-hmm. Um, he saw me kind of floundering. Yeah. And, and so I was blessed with a mentor who wouldn't let me not pursue a minute of calling, even if it didn't look like what he did. Mm-hmm. So Mount Vernon, um, Dr. Sorrell and Dr. Peterson, I owe everything to. There's, I'm not here today without them. Oh, gosh, that's beautiful. So tell me the story of how you ended up at, o, at OU. Yeah, so um, I had uh, been an, a Manny uh, up until the, the, the kid I watched was about to graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just saw his picture. He's a sophomore in college, which is just hysterical. Um, he's a great guy. And, you know, his dad said, hey, if you want to keep living in this apartment, you need to start paying rent, which was only fair. I mean, realistically, yeah. every summer he had told us that he didn't need us again. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know come July, he'd say, hey, can you can you still come? And, and again, God opened that door every year. But finally, it just went to the point where it was time. Yeah. And so because we haven't been paying room, uh, I mean, utilities or rent or any of those kind of things, we were able to save up a little bit of a nest egg, put Tara through nursing school, which was incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, and uh, she put out 128 applications in Ohio for nursing and before she got a job. Um, and so... You know, so our friends who are on the east and west coast um, that that didn't feel some of the re- the great recession need to know there there weren't jobs and, yeah. and and we literally had hundreds. She's a bilingual nurse and 128 before she got a job, and that job was a 50 minute drive one way, mm. but it was a job. Yeah. It was a job in a field that she didn't call me crying because she hated her job, mm. and that's a blessing. Yeah. And when your wife is happy, you're joyous, kind mm. of a thing. So we began kind of looking at houses and we decided to go on an afternoon date and we went and looked at a house on Saturday and, and Tara loved it and I was pretty sure someone had been held captive in the basement. So um, I said no right. uh, very quickly. Uh, and then we found a house just driving around mm. um, and we walked in and in a minute we fell in love. I mean, it, it was it was a classic HGTV, like this is it. And mm. it that really does happen. Um, and we fell in love and it was... A mile from the university, it had a walking path. It it had what we felt like we needed to begin a family, mm. but we made some big compromises. Um, you know, we didn't have a garage, and you know, it snows from November to March. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, there's some of those kind of things. It's like it had a really nice Florida room or sunroom with no heat. Again, mm. looking back on it, you <laughs> you fall in love with something. But it seemed like God was opening up a door. Mm. Um, I had gotten another promotion at work. Um, Dr. Sorrell had fought for me to, mm. to do as much as I could. Yeah. And so we felt like that was what we were supposed to do. Um, and so I was teaching a class, uh, intro to theology or I don't know what it was, but we found this house, put an offer in, and it was ours six weeks later. Wow. And we emptied the bank account. I mean, we emptied that sucker. And... Uh, we moved in when it was snowing, and we were surrounded by boxes, and my, we were so happy. We weren't above a three-car garage, and if Clyde hears this, we're indebted to you. <laughs> but we were so glad not to be in that garage anymore. We're in a house. Yeah. We started to look at our friends who were doing more normal things, and we were doing that. Mm. And I can remember you to the day my brother called and said, just so you know, this person's going to add you on Facebook go ahead and accept his friend request. And most of the time he said that it was for one of the programs I ran to recruit this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was Jason mm-hmm. that has been you know, on your podcast before. Yeah. And so 
Jason adds me, and I, I'm so embarrassed that I don't think I've told anyone this, but I actually sent him a recruiting pitch. I was like, hey, are you interested in this, 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 and this? <laughs> he never replied, thank God. I don't even know if he's seen it. You may see it now. But I, re- I was trying to recruit him. Right. Literally, I know he was ordained. Because you just re- thought that's I, what... I, I had no idea what he was doing, but mm. he was he was checking my social media. Mm. Uh, and, and that's kind of a heads up to some of your, your listeners, yeah. is, is churches today are checking your social media. Yeah. And, I made it a point, one, not to have a social life because I was concerned. No, I just, I didn't <laughs> post much because we're shepherds. Yeah. And if we're called to shepherd our people, we're called to shepherd all of them. Mm. And I personally feel that, that my views or my life and my calling, while I can see they're separated, your people can't. Yeah. And so I knew not to post things. Not that I was, you know, a, a communist or anything like that. Right, right. I just knew not to throw something on there casually. Mm. And uh, the night that Jason called, I was sitting in our brand new living room that with the couch that her parents had bought us, Tara's parents had bought Aww. us, looking at the brand new table and chairs that my mom and dad had bought us and in our brand new house. And Jason said, would you be considered for the job at the University of Oklahoma. And I was floored. I mean, I was, part of it was, I was angry because mm-hmm. we just emptied our bank account. And, yeah. and he said one sentence I'll never forget was, we've been thinking about calling you for a couple months. Uh. And I just went, I just went, you know, if you, if you would have called me a couple months ago, I don't empty my bank account right. for this house. Yeah. But, as we all know, the timing things, are, they don't ever work out the way you think you do. Once sure. you think you're going to put down roots, you, you go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. But I'll never forget, we, uh, I was sitting there on the phone in this chair just trying to wrap my head around the idea of the University of Oklahoma. I mean, you've known me for a long time. I am a diehard Sooner. I cry when we lose. I've, I have a handwritten letter from Bob Stoops. I mean, <laughs> I bleed crimson and cream. And... To run a ministry here was impossible. Mm. I mean, it was it was literally the opposite of the dishroom job. Mm. And I'll never forget. My wife walked in the front door. She'd been out with girls, and I said the words, "I'd love to consider Oklahoma." And she shot me this look. I literally, I I cannot unsee, which I'm sure the spouses will know. This, sure, but it's that yeah. look of whatever you just said <laughs> had better be like. Oklahoma the play or the Oklahoma drill and football, but we're not like what in the world, you know, we just bought this. Yeah, I know this is a national podcast, but good grief. She was, she was shooting me some looks that were a, a little bit more Presbyterian than they were Nazarene. And so I remember hanging up and, and she sat in our kitchen and looked at me and went, what was that? And I was like, mm. well, that was not ever going to happen, but just hear me out. There's a job at the University of Oklahoma, but I'm one of seven applicants. There's no way this happens. But me and you have always said, if any church asks us to consider, we'll put our name out there. Mm. And she begrudgingly said, I know, we we did. But um, we were surrounded in boxes because it takes us forever to unpack. Yeah. But I'm sitting there and where I thought God had opened the door, where I had taken a huge financial risk. But we had a tremendous community in Mount Mm. Vernon. We have people who will forever be lifelong friends. We had a, a sense of home for the first time in a long time. Mm. And it was my wife's dream home. And 
I, I won't ever forget the fear that she heard of, and it wasn't Norman. It wasn't, it was, we were finally through those first four years of marriage. We had both finished school. We had both gotten jobs. We had a house and we were talking about a family mm. and literally my dream job just comes out of nowhere. And so what I didn't know behind the scenes was the university, the ministry here at the university had shut down and I, I want to say it's August. I'm not sure how the timeline works. So I could be wrong. But the previous director um, had been there for something like 17 years and mm-hmm. he had done an amazing job. I mean, his passion for OU is still overwhelming. And um, But the ministry just ran out of money mm-hmm. and things just began to wane. And if you're anywhere for 17 years, I think lives change and things happen. And so yeah. um, the board, the reason it took so long, you know, they called me and I, I want to say it was April. Mm. And then I remember I went down and surprised my dad for his birthday in Maryland. And it, on his birthday in June, late June, I had my first interview because mm. I, I eventually called Jason and said, look, I can't have this anymore. I can't have my dream job sitting out there and not hear anything. I mm. need you. And, and it was finally the ultimatum of the scariest thing I've done outside of proposing was saying, look, I need you to make a decision. Yeah. And so I did an interview on June 25th. Uh, of 2015 and it went awesome and so uh, dr martha band said you need to interview her with her entire board mm. and tara went oh dang it <laughs> uh, <laughs> and i was like there's no way it happens there's a couple of applicants you know there's no way i count you know i hedge my bets um so in july i meet with the entire board they all piled in to this small office the university of oklahoma uh, and uh, one of the board members was uh, at CERN in Geneva. Mm. Uh, and so he was Skyping in. I think it's in Geneva. Someone's going to fact check us. But he was Skyping in. But their power kept cutting out. So it was just me and this guy on Skype, Dr. Ben Pearson, who we've never met. And it's like <laughs> four in the morning. So he's exhausted. Aww. And I don't know what to say to him. So I just start telling really bad jokes because... <laughs> My awkward self is even worse than my normal self. And so I'm interviewing and and the minute the, the board starts asking these really detailed questions of what does the ministry look like and what are you gonna do? And I think one of the most dangerous things a pastor can do is say, I know what God has for this church. You don't know anything. You don't you're not in the community. If right. you if if you have a call to a church that you're not in the community of, then you don't have a in my opinion, a call to that church yet. Because who are you? Mm. Live in the community, be in there. And I kept telling them, I can't tell you what this looks like, right? It's not fair for me to tell you because what, what Mount Vernon needed is not what Norman needed. Right. But I kept on talking about place, you know, the building. I knew they had this house. They had this awesome house. And and everything I had thought about was about the house. And, mm. and towards the end, they went, oh, by the way, we're going to have to sell the house. And I was like, okay, well, can we rewind that? Because mm. the house is, is the locus of ministry. The house is where the director lived uh and so i just i was shocked um but the interview went great i mean i walked home i was on cloud nine and tara came home like how to go it's like it went great (laughs) once again she was just thrilled Uh, and that's with sarcasm font right eventually the board called and said we want you to come visit Mm. and um so we flew down in august of 2015 and um they tell us it was a cool August of 2015. Oh. My wife made it abundantly clear that she had landed on the sun. Um, 
And so, but the scariest moment was, this was my dream job. And I, I, I we were praying two different prayers. Mm. My wife was praying, Lord, if this is supposed to happen, let me see it. And my prayer was, Lord, make this really not happen because I want this. Yeah. And, and so we, but we did, we prayed that prayer. And honestly, I said, please make it clear. And I remember Anita Shepard picked us up and they took us to a, a, a hamburger shop. And I was in the back seat and we were excited. And we said, so how are we doing how is it financially? What's what's happening? Because I hadn't heard any information. Mm. And she goes, well, we got a church from a, a donation from a church, and when it clears today, that's how much money we'll have in the bank. And I'll remember the the look my wife shot me was, hey, God's answering my prayer, and I I was floored. I mean, I really was. I didn't expect you know to walk into a million dollars, but they were almost bankrupt. Yeah. But then we, we went to Norman and we saw the house and it was empty. Mm. And I grieved a little because it was literally on campus. I mean, I, I can't describe it to you if you've never been to the University of Oklahoma, but it was on campus. And it was huge and it was accessible and it was yellow. So everyone said, oh, that big yellow. I had that. Mm. And I could see how they'd used it for, for sharing the love, love of Christ, you know. Yeah. But it needed six figures plus of repair Mm. um the previous director loved kids and loved that house but at a certain point when you're raising funds for ministry it's hard to point to a leaky faucet and say see this is what we're using money for and and i think it just got to the point where we couldn't keep up with it Mm. and there was nothing done wrong there was nothing squandered there was it was an amazing thing. We just, it, it was a house that was a hundred plus years old that was massive, had three apartments in it. And it cost a thousand dollars to have gas provided to the house. I mean, not wow. even gas on. So it was a huge sorority house, basically. Mm. We toured the house and I just, I was just like, this is what we want to do. And they said, it's, it's, we're selling it so we can restart. But then I met the board um, in between eating every carb in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, and you they fed us well. Mm. And each board member was in love with this ministry. Each board member wanted there to be a Nazarene ministry at OU. And, and I don't mean that just figuratively. These were men and women who were volunteering on a board mm. who served, met monthly, if not more often, who donated big sums of their private money to help restart this, who pray daily for this place. Wow. Men and women who love the church and the church of the Nazarene, mm-hmm. who are in their 60s down to their 40s, who are professionals in every sense of the word. And we began to walk around and talk to them. And I heard my DS and the DS just put it as plainly as possible that this is an uphill battle. This is not easy. The past five years had done celebrate recovery. And it's a tremendous ministry, but that was all they did. And that's hard to build a ministry around. You know, that's a private accountability group. So for 12 students, it's it's life-changing. But for the other 29,000, it's hard to find a home there. Yeah. And so there were two students on campus that we worked with. Um, the place had shut down. We were having to sell it. And the board just looked at me and said, what are you going to do? Mm. And it was freeing. You know, I was, I'm privileged that my, my board doesn't 
say we need 60 members and you need this and you need this and my peers are having issues that I don't have. But the flip side of it is the board loved it so much, but they didn't know what it looked like. And we walked around Bricktown and my wife looked at me and said, I think we need to move here. Mm. And so we flew back to Oklahoma and six months to the day of closing, we, we signed the papers on our house wow. in Oklahoma. And I remember flying, driving out to Oklahoma to move there in November, and I called the board president and said, by the way, where am I living? <laughs> I can't live in the house, you know? And yeah. she went, oh, hold on. And a board member opened up their house for six weeks. Wow. They just instantly said, come here. And one of them was really sad six weeks later. We sold our house for more money than the realtor said we would. Mm. And we sold it when the economy had collapsed again in Ohio. Mm. And the board member said, well, can your wife move in? And, and her husband came alongside and said, I think he wants to probably live with his wife again. <laughs> but they loved us instantly. Yeah, yeah. And they loved the kids. They mm-hmm. loved the ministry. And we have a board that I wouldn't change for anything. Um, and God provided another miracle. He sold the house. Mm. Um, he, he sold the house when oil crashed. And we talked to the realtor and they said, there's probably a dozen sales in the state of Oklahoma of this type that went through this year. And yours was one of them wow. for all, all cash. Mm. And God just kept opening these doors that made it abundantly clear that we should be in Norman. Yeah. And, and so I started November, 1st, November 2nd of 2015. And my first act was to tweet. <laughs> I mean, we there's no office hours because there's no office building. And there's no students. So... I sent out a tweet and said, hey, anyone at the University of Oklahoma, I'll buy you Starbucks. And that could have gone very bad, very quickly. If that went viral, I'm bankrupt. Uh, But that's how we met our first student. And that's how we meet students today is we hang out on campus and we work with students. And I wouldn't change it. I mean, my wife and I lost a lot of money. Mm. But again, that calling in the Bahamas wasn't that everything's fine. It's that I will walk with you. Mm. And... We're being interviewed in a house we just bought two years later that God opened the door from. My wife got a job in a minute, literally a minute into being in the state of Oklahoma, she got a job. Um, so God has opened doors to be here at the University of Oklahoma. So tell me about the student center as it is now and what you do and what you've been doing for the past couple of years. Yeah, so the the biggest thing we get is where are you, mm. right? And, and, and I think that's... That's because we don't know how to be without place right. uh, in the United States. Um, and maybe globally. I, can't, I don't want to speak for that. But, you know, I was thinking about the other day trying to explain it to someone is, you know, where are you? Is Even we, we even have food trucks that they have to tweet out where they're going to be in mm. an hour. Mm. Right? Like, there has to be a place to go yeah. and a place to do. And, and so we're doing what we've kind of coined as placeless ministry. Mm. Um, and so we, we literally just hang out with students. Um, so this week I have met a student at Louis, which is a pizza joint. I've met a student at Fuzzy's, which is a Mexican joint. I had staff meeting at Starbucks. I had a meeting at Chipotle. Um, yes, I have gained some weight since working here, but, um, (laughs) we, we really are everywhere. And when people have been trying to figure out what it is we do, we tell them we're missionaries. Mm. And we have a city of 30,000. Yeah. And we have countries represented. I want to say it's like 128 countries and all 50 states. And 
dozens of languages and cultures and belief systems. And we're living in a town twice the size of the one I moved from Mount Vernon, but mm. they're just college kids. Mm. Um, and so every day we get to have the privilege of having the University of Oklahoma as our parish, yeah. you know, to kind of paraphrase John Wesley, you know, mm-hmm. the whole campus is my parish. Right. And we hang out with students. Um, we're, we're starting a small group, but last year we didn't have a small group because we didn't have any Christians. Mm. Um, we had a couple, but not enough to need a small group. Yeah. They, they just, they had a Bible study at church, but we work with a lot of the misfit toys. And I don't mean that in a bad way. We, we work with kids who the church doesn't know how to work with. Yeah. So we do donuts Tuesday nights. We do a Bible study on Wednesday nights at the church. Um, we had a philosophy small group um, that was mostly atheists and agnostics that mm-hmm. met and read some philosophy with each other and did coffee nights on Monday nights and tons and tons of one-on-ones where I would just be in line and say, hey, can I buy your meal? Um, that's how we met kids because we don't have a building and right. we can't afford one at 1500, 2000 a month just to have a place. I'd rather have a salary yeah. or a future. Mm-hmm. And so we just, we are in the midst of our students mm-hmm. as best as we can. And that works for some and it really doesn't work for a lot. Um, I say the building is like a treadmill. It, it fits used properly you will lose weight. You will exercise. You will get better. But how many of us, the first two weeks, are on it every day, and then three days a week, and then it's a clothes hamper, mm. and it gets piled up, and you wind up selling it on Craigslist because someone else thinks they're going to lose weight. Right. And a building is just that. If you use it properly, if it's if it's being done to the glory of God, then yes, it's the best you can do. But I've talked to campus ministers with budgets 10 times ours that have privately told me if I could sell my building, I would. Mm. Because in August, their heat, their cooling bill was $3,000. Wow. And, and so in, in many ways, we're blessed because we're forced to go, how do we do this? Well, Hertz Donuts is open 24-7. We'll go there. Or the student union, we can rent a room out. We can go there or my living room or Anita's living room. or So it's forcing us to think of how can we do this relationally. And that's helped us to build relationships. But it's also really hurt us for kids who, who they're used to youth group. Mm. And they want youth group. And I don't. that's not a demeaning idea, but it's safe. They can be anonymous. And I was so excited last year we had six Nazarenes coming into OU. And it's really rare for us to find Nazarenes because they usually go to SNU and that's great. We love them to go to SNU. But they came and we were excited and on all of them but one went to other ministries after mm. three weeks. And I lament, I grieved their loss. I, I know they're in the kingdom. I don't doubt that. But I wanted them to be ours selfishly. Yeah. But when I looked at where they'd gone, they went to a place that they could be anonymous and be behind the scenes and had some of the things that they were comfortable with. Yeah. And I can't blame them. I don't think when I was 18, I would have done any different. Yeah. But it, it really made me evaluate, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. How are we doing it here? Um, and if we don't go the direction that they're going, what doors are we going to begin knocking on? So 
we began working with kids we met in this Students for Liberty, the Anarchy Group. I mean, the ironic part is uh, Anita accidentally sat in on their one of their meetings and they almost elected her vice president. I mean, it was fantastic. <laughs> I got the weirdest text, but she was excited. And we work, we've reached out to the Muslim Student Association. We've mm. worked with the LGBTQ Gender Identity Issues Association. We've We've just loved kids. We work with opera students. I wish God would open a door into the football team, but I'm with opera students most of the day. <laughs> I don't like opera, but it's where we need to be. Yeah. And it's where others aren't. Yeah. Because it's not in their building. Mm. And, you know, would I love a building? Yeah. I, I would love a building. But I don't think we'd be where we were now if we had a building. Mm. So. Talk to me about the kind of pros, cons. If you had to explain to somebody... Um, what it is like to not have a building uh the, the pros are the the overhead's low yeah i mean um i remember one lady and and, and i mean this as well as i can um she she was a a much older lady and a saint at the church and was fully invested in loving kids but she came up to me and said i heard you sold the house when are you when are you buying the next house mm. and i went well we aren't and she just She's like, well, where are you going to have worship service? And I wanted to say, you know, we've never had worship service. Mm-mm. It wasn't the right way. My filter does occasionally work. <laughs> and, and, I, and I just went, we just can't afford it. And until God opens that door again, and she, she looked at me and genuinely asked, and she's not the only one, but said, well, then what do you need money for? Mm. And I went, well, you see, I have bills. I would really like to pay my bills. Yeah. I lost a lot of money moving here. And I don't tell them that, but I have a responsibility to Anita. I am her boss. I want her to be able to help her family. Yeah, eat food. And even simple things like paying my school loans and things like that. And so I think the biggest, the, the hardest part is fundraising. Mm. Is is just this, this idea of... Uh, a woman once told me she'd raised a quarter million dollars for um, an, an, a tremendous ministry. And she said, buy a building and you can get all the money you need. And, uh. and I, went, I went, well, we're not going to buy a building. I just told her, quite frankly, just we're not going to do it. And she goes, well, then you're not going to raise any money. Uh. And I appreciated her honesty, you know, but I also just went, man, how do we raise money? And, and it's because when they donate, they're donating to what, right? To mm-hmm. my salary, to... to what and so the first couple months we were here i remember we took a whole bucket of of soil from the house the the 28 house and we still have it it's kind of weird but we started our fundraising arm and we named it soil and it's called supporting others in love Mm. and so i decided that any person who donates gets a jar of soil from the university of oklahoma Mm. and the goal of it is to remind them that there is a physical place with a physical person reaching out to students. Yeah. And whenever someone donates money, one of the misnomers is, is that when they donate $20, that they've donated $20 to donuts. They haven't. They've donated, and that pays me and Anita, and it pays our taxes and our, our DOT insurance, whatever that thing is for our board members, and it pays these things. But we're still not raising to be fully funded yet. So... What we do is we help people see that when you give us $20, here's a picture of the student we took out with it. Yeah. When you gave us $5, I get to take a student to, to Starbucks. And people think that $5 doesn't help. 
people think that they need to donate 10000 mm. And I would like to have 500 people give $10 a month because that's 500 jars of soil that I can send out a prayer request. Or one of the amazing things we've done is we've had students live in Chicago and Indiana and South Dakota with Nazarenes. They're not Nazarene kids. They're not, they're not even really Christians, one of them. They're Nazarene, and I can call a Nazarene and say, hey, can you open up your doors? And they're letting our kids stay with them. Mm. And they're understanding what we're doing. So we're, we're trying to tie the money back to the students, yeah. back to the activities we do. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's that's the, the difficult thing, is helping us change, but also helping students understand that when we say, we're here, they always say, well, where's your group at? And you say, no, no, we're here. And they, they look at me weird, and I'm like, literally... I'm here. And so we started NASGO, which is a Pokemon Go kind of playoff. But okay. We will just do two random days, usually beginning of the school year, so we're doing one next year, next week, uh, and then one around Halloween where we just email all the students, say, tomorrow, where are you going to be at 1030? We're going to find you. And we just go and meet them. And we've met them in their dorms. We met them at their place of work. Outside of their classroom is the best because they have to take whatever we give them into class. And they mm. have to ask, why did you do that? Mm. Um, in December, the, the Joy Group, our just older youth group, um, I said, give us the ugliest mugs you have. You know, because the, the senior <laughs> adults have the ugliest mugs. And it, they, they, they just, they gave us these heinous mugs. One of them actually went to Salvation Army and told the lady, can I have the ugliest mugs you have? <laughs> and we filled them with, with espresso beans and chocolate and... And then we gave them, so we did a mugging. But what we did is we made the students take a picture with their mug and we gave it to the senior adult who gave it to them. Aww. And they're praying for that student. And they're realizing that that thing that they gave is going to a real student that's mm-hmm. currently sitting in a room studying for finals, mm. eating the coffee beans that we just gave them. Right. And it's, it's helping our people understand that we are on campus with people. And it's helping our students begin to break out of the building and understand that my relationship with God is in the hallways, is in my dorm rooms, is in my places of work, that Mm. I'm not a Christian when I go there and I check it off and I've gone to the Rotary Club and I've checked it off, whatever. I'm a Christian everywhere. Mm. Um, I think if, if I could help someone that's planning on doing student ministry, um, so my long-term dream, I'll say this much is, Um, I planted this idea last year with my board and I said, we need about a million dollars to do this. And so this is, this is one of those God has to do something dreams, but I want to buy an apartment or a house, not a house, but something, a place to live. And what I want to do is I want to use the university of Oklahoma as the breeding ground for campus ministry Mm. in the United States. And, and the long-term dream is if you can come here and live, we'll, we'll give you a place to live. I mean, we can't really pay you, but again, I did that for five years. We'll give you a place to live. And if you can learn how to do ministry with us where there's no building, and not that we do it perfectly. God knows I've learned a ton from people, but you're forced to think outside the box. You're forced to talk to students. You're forced to not do programming that you did at high school or your Nazarene school you went to. You're forced to try and figure out, how do I talk to these people and not come off like Street Preacher Bob that we have here at OU? How do I, if you can learn how to do ministry here at OU, I want you to come here for two years. You live here for one year and you work for us. And that's that's what you're learning to. You help us a ton too. 
but in your second year, you say, I'm going to go to uh, University of Northern Illinois. And so you live with us, but you begin emailing the districts in Illinois. You begin emailing churches in the area. You begin flying out there and walking the campus grounds, and you listen to them because, once again, you don't know your community when you walk in. You need to, to listen. And God knows someone asked us why we went to a coffee shop because there's four coffee shops on campus. Yeah. We, we don't need to add to that. So my dream is to help equip people with placeless ministry so that if a church says, you know what, we want to do this, we have a parsonage or we, we have an opportunity with this building downtown that someone at the University of Oklahoma can come here for a year or two and get some information and some training and seeing how we do and we can learn from them and then we can send them out and then the next person moves in and my dream is that when i'm old and retiring that i can look at the map of the campuses that we've put kids on Mm. and we have one at lincoln nebraska and kansas state and west virginia we have one um at oklahoma state that's restarting we have one at at Clemson, but it shut down because they couldn't find anyone to take it. Mm. And it broke my heart because I know there are Nazarenes who want to do campus ministry. God has helped the church understand that calling is bigger than the pulpit, per se. That sometimes a pulpit is a cup of coffee and letting them talk about how the church hurt them. But if you're not in their life, if you're in your building and you're waiting for them to come to you, you don't get those students. You do make an impact. And the people here at OU are making an impact. But my heart is for those who will never walk in a door. And we don't have a door. <laughs> I mean, right. our key thing is let me buy you a donut. Mm. And you'd be amazed at how many people it freaks them out that a pastor <laughs> bought them a donut. Because we have this idea of what a pastor looks like. You know, it's a mm. pastor's at the church. He looks, and you know, we don't even have this idea of she, mm. you know, especially being down here in the South. It's always a he. Um, and that's why Anita uh, is just such an asset to us. Yeah. Um, but that this pastor who wears really sarcastic T-shirts just says, "Let me buy you a donut." And when you say, "What's the catch?" You say, "You just get to enjoy it." And I walk away. It, it made one guy mad. It was fantastic. He was genuinely upset, and his partner had to take him away. He, his partner was like, "We need to, to leave. You're getting, you're getting upset," because this guy was convinced I had an ulterior motive. Mm. And I said, well, my ulterior motive is if you come next week, I'll buy you the donut again. <laughs> but it's he'll never come to a church group. Right. He'll, he'll never go to a place called Nazarene. Mm. Um, and my, one of my favorite stories is the first kid I met from the text, Dorian, who I offered to buy him coffee or tea. He bought a six dollar and fifty dollar fifty cent tea. I know that you could buy tea that expensive at for six dollars. Yeah, for six and a half dollars for tea. <laughs> Dorian, yeah, that was expensive. Uh, but he called me the first summer he went home. He said, "Hey, do you know this church and something something church in Nazarene?" And I was like, "Well, hold on a minute." I talked to Anita, and her husband knows the pastor there. And he went, "I didn't know you were there," but. He, he drove past the church of the Nazarene and his, his only knowledge of it was they loved me. Mm. The physical building in his church in Houston had a positive idea mm. because we didn't have a building and I was forced to tweet out to a student, 
can I take you? And it was one of the most awkward first dates I've ever had. <laughs> He's a six foot four opera singer from Houston. He's African American. We have almost nothing in common. <laughs> but because we don't have a place, we were forced to tweet to meet this guy at the student union. And a year later, he found us. And last summer, he spent six weeks with, with Robbie. Um, you know, the week, the summer before, he spent three weeks with a church in Indiana. Nazarenes are opening their physical doors mm. because we didn't have any. That's great. And it's those moments that when someone say, well, what do you do? Why should we donate? You don't have, what, what money do you need? Mm. You sit there and you go, I spent $800 on donuts last year. You know, we spent a lot of money. And this is not me begging for money. This is not woe is me. God has blessed us. Uh, and tremendously, God has blessed us. But we buy meals left and right. We, yeah. we take kids out to lunch because they've never sat with a pastor. We buy kids groceries. We, we try to be Jesus to them. And that's how you get college kids is through their stomachs. <laughs> and, you know, it's a, it's a great problem to have is, is that you begin to become a regular at campus restaurants. Yeah. So um, would I do it again? Yeah. Would I recommend doing it without a building? Um, not without a board that's mm. strong. Yeah. That's the other thing is I want my board to know that they got me through that. Mm. They are still getting us through that. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to them because I thought I had failed last fall. Mm. And I was lamenting that we had failed, that those Nazarene kids weren't with us anymore. Yeah. And I remember they all stopped and said, your only job is to love kids. Did you love kids this week? Mm. And they for them, it was shocking to articulate what it is we're doing here. What it, you know, because they were still in the house idea, they were still in the building idea, they were still in the. But then they went, no, we're here to love kids. Mm. And so they said, you're not failing because you're not bigger than some other groups. You're failing if you're not loving kids. Mm. And I remember, le- like, it was a complete 180 within 12 hours that this idea of not having a place changed into this okay, let's see what we can do without this place. And it would literally take God to give us a building, physically give us a building, and and maybe even two or three years worth of payments to it before we would take it now. Mm. Because I'm afraid of the students we wouldn't see if we were inside in an office. Yeah. Do you talk about yourself as a pastor? Do you introduce yourself as a pastor? Uh, How does that go? Yeah, Um, so... Like I said, we work with the Anarchy Group. We reach out to the Muslim Student Association. We, but I always introduce myself at OU as a pastor. Now, there, there may be a time or two where I don't, where it's, um, it's just not appropriate. It's just weird, mm-hmm. right? But if I'm ever trying to do something in a way that is counter to what we have as an idea of a pastor, it's, I'm pastor. And the next question is, well, so why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. I just had it on Friday. Um, so we had a student fair, 4,500 kids or so walked around and we bombarded them with a million different things. And we give out these little blow pops and we put around the blow pop a little statement that on the back it's got our, our social media and how you can find us. But on, on the other side it says, not all Christians suck. And <laughs> I, I, I don't think most of your listeners can say that or put that on their sign. Sure. But we're at a college campus. I yeah. mean, you know, the vulgarity you hear is 
fairly shocking. And so you can say some of these kind of things. But mm -hmm. we put on a sucker and you hand it out. And this guy came up and he says, so what's the catch? And I was like, it's a sucker. He's like, what's the catch? I was like, you know, I'm not proposing to you. <laughs> it's a sucker. He's like, but there's always a catch. I said, okay, here's the catch. You can have a second one if you really want it. He's like, so I don't have to sign up for anything? He's like, I mean, you can if you want. We'll email you, but there's no catch. Yeah. Over the summer, we got to do five freshman orientations. Mm. We met this kid named Alexi, and uh, he's a physics guy. One of our board members has his physics PhD. And so mm. that's a way for me. I literally have no idea what they're talking about. I took bio 101, and I bailed. So nothing of that is in common. <laughs> but I said, hey, we do donuts. We work with a lot of atheists and agnostics, and... I'm not going to try and preach at you. And he said, well, I'm not religious, but I'll come get a donut. And it's that idea when, when you break down that they have this, this is what a pastor is. And then you introduce yourself and you say, I'm a pastor. At least in four years at OU, they'll remember that one guy. And it's that pebble in their sandal, right? It's, mm. I may never see that guy who got mad at me at Hertz again, but he'll always have that story of the guy who bought him a donut and was sarcastic to him and walked away and never said anything else then why did I do that? Well, because I'm a pastor and we should do something nice for people. And mm. I, it's a stupid donut, but it, it bothered him because he knew what the pastor was supposed to be. Yeah. He knew what we were supposed to look like. He knew what we were supposed to say. And mm. it wasn't to a gay couple, let me buy you a couple, a donut. It was something about hell and doing wrong and picket fences and or it's that's the only thing we talk about and you're fine. It was just a donut. Yeah. And so we, we get to have these opportunities with students and that's my heart. I, I want Nazarenes. I, I want you, if you have a kid coming to OU that your first thought is, I need to call Andy. I want the kid to come in and say, my youth pastor equipped me to love my community. How can I do that here? Mm. I want your pastor to call me and say, hey, I have held this baby. I have counseled his parents. I've, I've buried his grandparents. I've graduated him. I'm going to hand him over to you. You need to keep doing my job. Because I hope to hand him or her back to the church. They're probably not going to go back to the church in Nazarene. But that's not the point. The point is that they still love the church in four or five years. Yeah. And that is the community that my heart breaks for, the community that their church has shunned them or has hurt them. And looking back on my call, my dad didn't hide that from me. You know, he didn't scar me, but I knew it wasn't pizza parties and pecan pies. Yeah. I knew it was really long nights and people thinking it was their church, mm. not yours. We pay your bills, so you do this. Mm. I, I knew there was those kind of things. And I'm privileged to have a board who says, did you love someone this week? Gosh, it's great. I'm, it's, it's incredible. Mm. Well, the last question I ask everybody is, what inspires you to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? What is it that's keeping you here? Uh... I was asked that this morning at mm. a meeting. Um, I kind of got a weird look of, why are you here? Mm. And it wasn't by a Nazarene. It was by someone who didn't know what a Nazarene was. But oh. they were kind of interested in it. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not the most outspoken person until you're talking about OU football. Um, but 
I, I believe the church can be something beautiful. Um, the reason I have faith is because of the church. The reason I have faith is because when, when my family was at their lowest, I remember coming home uh, and I, I swear, my mom disagrees, but I swear the only thing we had in the cupboard was, was hamburger helper. I mean, we'd ha- I still won't eat it to this day. I haven't eaten it since I was 13. I won't eat hamburger helper. I swear that's all we had in the house. Mm. And I turned the corner and our, our porch was filled with groceries. Mm. And the neighbor said they didn't see them. It was a duplex. You would have had to see someone. I know someone gave those, you know. They didn't just appear. But someone who loved the church mm. gave groceries to our family and didn't do it proudly in, in a big box and give it in the middle of church. They threw it on a porch. And the church can be beautiful. And, you know, there's kind of an inappropriate comment that I don't know if it is or isn't Augustine, but I think he says that the the church is a whore, but she is our mother. Mm. The church is ugly, but she is our mother. And the kids I work with haven't seen a beautiful church. They haven't had a pastor who said, let me walk with you. I've had students at 2.30 in the morning break down and come out to me because they've never felt safe to tell anyone their sexuality. Mm. I've, I've had students who got physically angry at me because I told them the church could be beautiful and they'd only seen fundamentalism. I've had kids who are so deeply hurt by the church that he said, I remember, and I can't say it on this podcast, but he says, I remember sitting in a church. In fact, he'd gone to a Nazarene church a little while. He says, and I just remember it, the curtains came down and it was just BS and I walked out. Mm. And I went, I've had those moments too. <laughs> but the church has always been there. Mm. And the church of the Nazarene is a piece of the pie. I thank God for Pentecostals because that's not who I am, but my friends who are need that. So I stay because I think we can do some good. I think our theology mandates relational living. I think we are forced to care about the other. I think Wesley exemplified that, especially at the end of his life. That, that What are you doing with your money? We didn't buy season tickets this year to football because I'd rather buy donuts. Yeah. That's not a sacrifice. It's great, but it's, where is your money going? I want the Church of the Nazarene. I want someone to drive by their Church of the Nazarene and say, there was a guy that loved me at my college. Right now it's University of Oklahoma and West Virginia and, and Kansas State, but maybe in 20 or 30 years, there's one in each state or two in each state. And, and the fact that you can drive to a city anywhere in the United States and someone will take you to lunch. Our church loves. We do a lot of things wrong and we're still growing. But I can call a pastor in South Dakota and say, I have a kid, he needs lunch. Mm. And the only response is, which one is he on Facebook? I'm on there right now. Mm. That just happened this weekend. We do a lot of good. And I think my generation, we forget to celebrate that. And I want to help it continue to do that in my little corner. And my little corner is without a building, over a cup of coffee. And I'm gonna stay here as long as I can until something, I don't know. I've never been able to come up with an answer of what's next. Mm. It's this. Yeah. 
if somebody wanted to get in contact with you or find the student center, where, where could they reach you? How could they yeah, find we you? accidentally, well, when we, when we kind of went back to our name, the Nazarene Student Center, um, and we went back to that name um, because we're Nazarene. Mm. Um, that opens some doors. It closes a lot. But um, we accidentally got at the OUNSC on social media, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. I, it was complete accident. I looked like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> um, I had honestly forgotten that I had done it that way. So mm. if you're on, on Twitter, uh, Instagram, or Facebook, we use our Instagram and Facebook the most. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out who cares about Twitter, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to use that. Mm. Um, but you can find us there. Our website is uh, ounsc.org, um, and we, uh, we try and update it um, at least monthly. Um, and so... That's kind of where you can find this, or you can always send me a private message. If you're ever coming to Norm Oklahoma City or Norman, um, let me buy you a donut. Come down to OU. If you went to a Nazarene school, this is a lot bigger. It's a lot different. It's a gorgeous campus. Um, and uh, so you can find us those places or reach out to me on Facebook. My email is andy at OUNSC um, or sooners at OUNSC or our email addresses and so I'll call, email, text, whatever it is I live off my phone. So that's, that's how great. you can reach us. Well thank you so much for taking the time. Yep. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>